Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I would hope that we trust in the fact that, and this is something that I've been learning, especially on a journey that I've been on recently with reconnecting with some family members of mine, is God has placed you there specifically. And and what I want to tap into is, okay, Lord, why? How can I be, how can I minister to my family? And especially ones that I don't understand and I'm totally different from, and, and we, we're on two different levels in one sense, and I have the Lord, and some of my family doesn't have the Lord. But Lord, you've placed me in this family. Okay, so how do I serve my family? You might ask the question, how can I minister to my family and friends, especially the ones that I don't understand and am totally different from? You might feel like you're on two different pages with them. You may wonder how to serve them. He's placed you there in your family. He's very intentional in everything he does. Pastor James reminds us that Jacob and Esau were total opposites. They didn't become best friends, but peace was made within their relationship, even though it was hard for them. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 33, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. out the parameters and the expectations for husbands and wives and children and this whole family dynamic, he did it purposefully so that the husbands would be the head of their houses and lead spiritually, not in a dictatorship, not because, well, somehow men are better than women. It's not like that at all. I hope you understand that. I hope you read your Bibles and you see very clearly that Jesus values women just as much as men. Absolutely. But the responsibility, spiritually speaking, is on the shoulders of the men. And they should lead. They should lead. We're in a weird time in our country where it's like, this is almost what I'm saying is, would almost be like offensive. Would almost be offensive to say like, men should be men. And men should lead their families. Somehow within the climate of our country, this has become something to where it's like, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. I'm just saying what the Bible says, and what, when I stand before Jesus, here's what I expect. I gave you a wife, and I gave you some kids. How did you lead them? Well, Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to live in America, in the West, where, you know, culturally, we don't do things like that. And he's like, I don't care about your culture. Your culture doesn't define my standards. I set the standards. How'd you lead your family? Ugh. So you can't hide behind anything. We shouldn't want to hide behind anything. We should want to be at the forefront saying, okay, you know what? Hey, if the enemy's coming, let him find me first. Here's the beautiful thing about that. He's not going to find you first because your life is hidden in Christ. And Christ is your defense and Christ is your shield. The enemy's coming for you. Let him find Christ in you. Let Christ be your defense. You don't have to worry about it. Take up that spiritual armor that he's given us, Ephesians chapter 6. And this applies to everybody, not just men, but this applies to everybody. You suit up every single day. And the enemy, when he does, he is going to look for you. He is prowling around like a lion. May he find your life life hidden in Christ. He can't touch you. 
He can't touch you. He could scare you. That lion is still, I don't care. You could go out in the wilds of Africa. You might come across a lion who has no claws and no fangs, but that thing's still going to scare you. I don't care who you are, right? Like, that's a big cat, right? I don't care if it can only gum me to death, but I'm going to be terrified of that big cat because, well, you're supposed to be in one sense, but that cat, he can't hurt you when your life is hidden within Christ, Here's Jacob, he's just, he's stepping up. For the first time, it seems like in his life, he is stepping up and he is taking the lead. He's taking the lead. So he arranges his family and he sees Esau. And so he's limping right along to go meet his brother, who he's been estranged from for 20 years now. A 20-year reunion that has um, been ordained by God, I believe, to happen in this moment. Little does Jacob know that God's already been at work in the whole situation. That prayer that he prayed in chapter 32 um, has, been answered by, has been answered by God. He prayed and he told God. He's like, listen, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. My brother's coming here and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to die. God has already taken care of that. He just doesn't know it yet. He hasn't gotten to that moment yet where he realizes that the Lord's already answered that prayer. Verse 33, it says, then he crossed over before them. He bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So you can kind of envision this happening. He's off in the distance, but once they have like eye contact established, he does what was common, at least in that Eastern culture, um, when you have respect or reverence towards someone else. As you're, you are identifying them as a superior to yourself, what you would do is you would bow to them multiple times, seven times to be exact. And so he is doing that. Once he has visual contact, he sees Esau and Esau sees him. And they have that moment where they're like, there's my brother. Jacob starts bowing to the ground and he's bowing and he's displaying to Esau, listen, I submit myself to you. I am acknowledging that you're my older brother and I'm not here for anything other than just to just to make peace with you. That's it. That's it. So that's kind of what he's communicating as he's advancing towards his brother. Look at Esau. Here's how you know the prayer was answered. But Esau, verse 4, ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You need to understand that these men in that culture, they don't run. Nobody runs. You don't run. You run if you're being chased. Okay, there's no like, you know, marathons going on at this point in time. Like, that's just crazy. Nobody just runs for no reason, okay? Like, here it's like the, he, Esau sees his brother and he runs to his brother. That should conjure up in our brains a, a New Testament story that Jesus told of the prodigal son, where the dad's just waiting for the prodigal son to return. And when the prodigal son, when he sees, he has visual contact with his son who went off and blew all the money and did all, you know, lived a life that he shouldn't have lived and he knew better and all that stuff. As soon as his dad had visual contact with his son, he booked it. He ran to embrace his son. Here's Esau. Esau is a worldly man. We know that. The, the whole birthright. 
He didn't want that thing. That meant that he would be like the spiritual head of his family. He wasn't interested in that. That's why he was so willing to sell that to his younger brother for a bowl of whatever they were, beans, okay? For a nice steaming bowl of chili, which sounds really good right now, right? Because you're all like, oh, can you just talk faster? Um, I talk fast. Okay, I'm trying. Um, He didn't want the spiritual headship of the family, He didn't want that to be passed on to him because his dad was the spiritual head of his family, and it would go to Esau, but even before they were born, God had told Esau, or not Esau, but um, Isaac, uh, that, listen, the younger, the younger will be, you know, that burden will be placed on the younger, so the older will serve the younger. So all that's been arranged, but we knew Esau himself, he wasn't even concerned about that. He didn't want that. He didn't want that. He's not a spiritual man. He's not. He's a worldly man. But here he is when he sees his brother that he hasn't seen in 20 years. And he probably, he remembers the last thing he said to him. I'm going to kill you when our dad dies. Now, Isaac's still alive at this point in time. But he doesn't care. All that's, for some reason, all that's gone. He's going there with 400 soldiers with the intent of revenge. Somewhere along that journey, and we don't know, somewhere along that journey, his heart changed towards his brother. We don't know what it was. We have no indication. There's no like account of, you know, God showing up like he would do to Laban and says, hey, don't you touch him. Don't even say a foul word to him concerning Jacob. We have no account of that at all. All we know is Esau's going out there with 400 soldiers. And when he sees his brother, he takes off running to his brother and he embraces him and he cries and he kisses him on the neck. This is a good family reunion. This is something that only the Lord could do. I hope you understand that. This is something that only the Lord could do. And, and again, I know family, family dynamics are, are strange. They're just, they're a weird thing, right? Like God puts two people together and then they have offspring. And then in a, in a confined area called a house, all these people have to grow up together. And sometimes it's peaceable. And then most of the time it's not, especially once they venture into the you know, teenage years, which we're living that right now with two of ours. We're like, oh, goodness. Um, it's, but you're trying to like figure out how to keep, maintain peace. And is that loving? Is that kind? That's always repeated in our house. Is that loving? Was that kind? No, no, of course not. Um, so we're trying, we're trying, we're trying. But it's just an, it, it's an odd dy- dynamic. But families are something that God has created. He, it's something that he has created. And you, you have no choice in what family you were born into. You have no choice as to who your parents are. You have no choice as to who your siblings are. That's, that's not up for you. You have no say within that. So I would hope that we trust in the fact that, and this is something that I've been learning, especially on a journey that I've been on recently with reconnecting with some family members of mine, is God has placed you there specifically. And what I want to tap into is, okay, Lord, why? How can, I be, how can I minister to my family, and especially ones that I don't understand and I'm totally different from, and, and we, we're on two different levels in one sense, and I have the Lord, and some of my family doesn't have the Lord. But, Lord, you've placed me in this family. Okay, so how do I serve my family? How do I be on mission for, for Jesus in the family that he's placed me in? How do I do that? I would hope that that's our kind of goal because maybe things are really good. I, I get along great with my brothers. I have two older brothers. I have an older sister. Um, 
I get along just great with those guys. There's no, there's no Esau, Jacob, Jacob kind of story in that at all. But I do have other family, parents divorced, and my dad's side of the family that I've just reconnected with after like 30 years. It's like, it's all that. It's that like, okay, how do I, Lord, how do I represent you to those guys? And how, Lord, because you placed me in this family for a reason. I don't think it's just like, okay, I'm placing that family and good luck. I don't think that that's how the Lord works. I think he's very intentional in everything that he does. So how do I embrace the situation, the family that he's placed me in? How do I, man, how do I be a light on a hill shining for him? How do I be salt for my family? How do I love my family? How do I be Jesus in one sense? How do I represent Jesus to my family? Families are hard because you grow up together and you know each other's quirks and your you know, idiosyncrasies and, and all that stuff. And you know how to push buttons, especially if you have brothers and sisters. You know the buttons to push that it's going to annoy them and drive them crazy. But you grow up with these guys. And unfortunately, so many times, families are really close initially and then they not be... I'm not talking about the ones that grow apart naturally because maybe job or college or anything like that. I'm talking about the ones that, the sad ones where it just kind of breaks apart. And that's, that's, I think that that should break our hearts. Not that every family is always going to be like this. But Lord, if you put me in this family, how do I love even the ones who have kind of broken off and are way over here? And, and how do I minister to those? How do I minister to those that are they're just not like me at all? Jacob and Esau are total opposites. Total opposites. Esau's a man of the world. Jacob, he's, he is a man who's on this journey. He gladly embraced that promise that God had given to his grandfather, Abraham, and passed on to Isaac. He gladly embraced that, and he was going to run with it. But before he could start running down that journey in, back into the promised land, he had to have this encounter with his brother. Peace needed to be there. Now, I want you to understand this. They're not best friends after this story. They're not. So don't think that, like, oh, man, am I supposed to be, like, best friends with my brothers and sisters? Do you know what they did to me? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. But peace was made within this relationship, but we never, we, there, there's probably one account, there will be one more account where they kind of come back together. But as far as living in the same land together, we, there's no interaction between these two, but at least there's peace. So they pursued peace, even though it was going to be the hard thing. Jacob was going back to the promised land. He was going to confront his brother. Whatever his plan was, he was going to confront his brother because he was going to, I think he was going to fully just apologize for what he did. He was pursuing peace with his brother. And I think that's an admirable thing that he was willing to do. Little did he know his brother was just couldn't wait to see him and embrace him and started kissing him on the neck. Sometimes we think it's going to go this way, and God shows up in the story and says, no, 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 it's going to go this way. So this is this whole weird brotherly family dynamic that takes place, and there's Esau, and imagine what his 400 soldiers are thinking as they're watching their leader. They're like, well, this is going differently than what we thought, right? They're like sharpening their swords or whatever, and they're like, oh, I guess we're not going to kill him. Um, Okay. And then imagine what Leah and Rachel and the maidservants and the children, because the fear that Jacob had was probably shared with his family as well, because we do that sometimes, right? Maybe in the conversations he was, saying, it was, he was having with his wives and with his children, like, oh, man, listen, it may be bad for dad tomorrow, okay? <laughs> like, um, 
Yeah, your brother, your, your uncle doesn't really like me. Um, and it's kind of my fault. Uh, he may have, we don't know what was going on there, but just, I would just put, put yourself in that story and just kind of see this, this reunion take place and this embrace that these guys have. And it's like all the past stuff just kind of washes away. It just washes away. There's no talk about like, hey, I'm sorry I stole your, you know, sorry I stole your blessing from dad. There's none of that. Look at what, look at their conversation they have. He's, he hugs them, he kisses them. They both are weeping together. Verse 5, it says, he lifted his eyes. This is Esau and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant, again, he's going to emphasize the fact that he bowed seven times. He's going to place tremendous emphasis on the fact that, listen, I'm here uh, just as, as your servant. It says, then the maidservants came near and, they, uh, and their children, and they bowed down, and Leah came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he says, and Jacob says to him, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Now, he's referring to all the herds that Jacob had sent the night before to kind of appease Esau, because he knew Esau was headed his way. So he sent out a ton of gifts, and gifts meaning different livestock and servants and all that stuff. And so Esau's like, hey, what was all that? I kept getting all these Amazon boxes. Um, what was all that about? Like, what, what, what's this about? He's like, oh, I'm just trying to make it right. That's what Jacob's saying. I, I'm just trying to make it right with you. That's all. And Esau's like, dude, I have enough. I don't need your stuff. And in one sense, he's saying, you don't have to do that. We're good. We're good. We're okay. But see, Jacob, the night before, was thinking, I better send these gifts because this might keep him from wanting to kill me. Little again, did he know that God is already moving ahead of him and answering the prayer, and God was already working on Esau's heart just like he was working on Jacob's heart. But Jacob's going to be persistent. Verse 10, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God. And you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. So here's Jacob just saying, listen, um, you have no idea. God has been so gracious to me. He has blessed me with so much. These, these wives, these children, all this stuff, it's because of God and it's because of his grace. And, and whatever I sent to you, can you just please take it. Just please take it. It's, it's out of an abundance of what God has already blessed me with. And so through persistence, Esau's like, okay, all right, right, you know, fine, I'll take it. I'll take your stuff. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. He's got his own, his own like kingdom, so to speak. He's already like founding his own cities and all that stuff. He's good. He's good. But it just communicates to us what's happening between these two brothers is it's all just washed away. It's like that dry erase board with the, you know, big red marker on there, like betrayal is written on this, this dry erase board. Because that's what Jacob did to his brother. He betrayed his brother. He betrayed his dad. He, he stole from them, both of them. And it's as if somebody came through with just that, that dry erase, you know, eraser and just wiped it clean, and the slate has been cleaned, as if it hasn't even happened. That is a good picture for us and Jesus and how he views us. And he says, listen, all your sins, all your sins washed away. 
There's no like, you know how it was in school. I don't know if you guys had chalkboards, because chalkboards were not really the best thing in the world, um, not counting the fact that the horrible sounds that they would make, but sometimes your teacher would write something on there and then you erase it, but you could always see the remnants of it faintly, right? Like you could always, even on dry erase boards, sometimes that happens where you can see faintly the, the resemblance of whatever was written on there. Sometimes we live our lives like that, as if Jesus came through and says, okay, look, all these sins, I'm going to wash them off, so don't even worry about it. But then we look back on those things and we're like, but I can still see that sin faintly, but it's still there. And I can still see that one. I can still see that one. It's not like that at all. Jesus has like this super eraser and it's called his blood. And it just is one swipe. It's gone as if it had never been there before. Clean, clean. That's kind of what's being, you know, that, that image is, is being really pictured to us through this story, this interaction between these two brothers. There was a sin that came in and destroyed this relationship. There was sin that had damaged this relationship. But Jesus was able to step in between these two brothers and make all the difference in the world to where they can come back together and they can hug each other. They can embrace and the conversation that they have is not like, hey, listen, man, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have done it. It's like, no, here, please take this stuff. Please, I don't want your stuff. No, please take this stuff. Please, you just please take this stuff. That was what the conversation was. There was no talk, as far as we know, of what happened 20 years ago. It's as if it never happened. He goes on to say, verse 12, Esau says to Jacob, let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. So he's like, hey, you need to come to my house. Come hang out with me. I live down there. I got my own space. I got a lot of space. I got my own part of this country. Um, Come hang out with me. So let's go this way. And Jacob says to him, verse 13, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds which uh, which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which, uh, which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. Now, um, there's a really good chance that he had, he had no intention of going there at all. He had no intention of following his brother. He had no intention of going to, where, to his brother's house. This is a fascinating thing to where it's like, well, Jacob... Why don't you just tell him what God told you? Well, I just had this good reunion, and I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to offend the guy. Because Esau's like, no, come hang out at my house. Come, come hang out with me. And he's like, um, yeah, okay, I'll do that. You go ahead. I'll catch up. He never does. Never does. He has no intention of doing it either. So why did he say it if he didn't mean to do it? It's kind of that old Jacob coming back. Real quickly, sometimes it's less than a day, you know? Sometimes those things happen in less than a day where it's like you have this amazing, you know, little moment with Jesus and maybe your devotions or you're reading through the Word and you just have this incredible, incredible time with Him. And then a few hours pass and you're back to your old ways. Then you're back to the, you just stepped in that same old thing. You're like, ah, how did I end up here? It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. We need to understand that. That's why we need to be vigilant in the sense of pursuing after Jesus and pursuing holiness, 
Holiness, is that a word we hear much anymore nowadays? Not really. Holiness, to be different, to be set apart, to be different. Not just set apart from the world, but set apart from my old ways and my old self. There should be a difference. The historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love, man, and give